This show is for athletes, entrepreneurs who go against all odds, do whatever it takes, and learn how to perform at the highest level to become the best version of themselves. I'm your host, Kota Nakayama, and this is Achieve Greatness. Hi, beautiful people of the internet, or wherever you're listening to this, whether it be on your phone, podcast, podcast, your car, uh, computer, if you're working out, let's achieve. Uh, I want to come up with a name with you guys. Maybe it could be Achievers. It could be The Greatnessers or something like that. But regardless, we have a great and amazing podcast episode for you guys, and I'm super excited to share this with you guys. I forgot to mention, welcome back to the Achieve Greatness podcast. (laughs) So this podcast is for entrepreneurs, uh, soccer players, whatever athletes you may be, um, wanting to achieve the best version of yourself so we can inspire other people to do great as well. So today we will be having Phil Dark talking about leadership and I'll be introducing him shortly. But if you guys like all these types of episodes that we've been providing, um, we're on Instagram as well at the Achieve Greatness Podcast. You can also spot, find us on Spotify, Apple Music, pretty much everywhere. And we're looking forward to having a video series on YouTube as well. So keep an eye out for that. So with that being said, let's roll it over to Phil and learn about leadership. Welcome back to the Achieve Greatness Podcast. I'm very excited for this episode. I usually say that I'm very excited for every guest that I bring on. But personally for me, I've been listening to this person's podcast for a while now. Um, and it's finally great to actually talk to him in person. Um, he has this podcast called How Soccer Explains Leadership, but he also has three other more podcasts. He has the Think Orphan podcast and Coaching Characters podcast as well, right? So right off the bat, um, this guy's wealth of knowledge. We're definitely going to learn a lot. Um, but he also comes from the non uh, nonprofit background called Providence World, um, and he also is an author called Pursuit of Orphan Excellence. So definitely can learn definitely a lot about that. But what I truly admire about this person, um, despite all the accomplishment he's done, I really see as I've been listening to this guy's uh, his podcast, see that he has, you know, someone that's a family man, someone that actually, you know, truly cares about values and like having like the right characters. And I actually like truly value that. And especially as my brand is achieved greatness, that's something where we want to impact people, you know, make people's lives better. Uh, through personal development and I thought what better way to bring this person on and kind of share about his story and journey and learning a lot about leadership so with that being said I'm truly blessed and honored to have Phil Dark to the Chief Greatness Podcast. Phil welcome to the Chief Greatness Podcast. Thanks for having me this is uh, this is fantastic I'm excited to be here so I I say the same thing on my podcast (laughs) every house soccer explains leadership guest I'm like I'm so excited exactly (laughs) so I'm I'm psyched to be on on this side of the uh, the interview which is a bit different, but it's fantastic. I'm, Definitely. I'm- I know. I've been listening to your podcast for a while now. It seems like you're like right next to me while I'm driving all the time. Um, but I kind of want to know, like, you know, you've been doing podcasting for a while. You, you know, you're, you're a wealth of knowledge within both soccer leadership and other disciplines. Um, but I kind of want to know, we'll take a little step back. How did you end up getting into the field of podcasting, into like the coaching world of the leadership world? And then we'll kind of go from there. So like, how did, how did everything come to be? Absolutely. So from the soccer front, I've been playing soccer since I was four years old, coaching, refing, uh, now have five kids. Four of them are playing soccer at high levels. My fifth, the one or the third kid who the one that didn't play soccer, she still wanted to play her freshman year of high school. So she went out and played. So it's just part of my blood, part of my family, part of what, what we do. Um, from the leadership standpoint, you know, I just, I just grew up 
um, always really wanting to, to, to help others, you know, what, whatever that looked like, whether it was in the context of a team, whether it was in the context of, of just uh, different work. And it's not, it's, it's weird. It was never like in the context of like serving at a, a food, you know, pantry or, you know, going out and picking up trash. Like, not that I don't do that, mm-hmm. but really what was for me is in that leadership to help, whether I was playing goalkeeper and I was wanting to talk to the team and help them to know where to be and how to get there. And, you know, are you man on, or do you have time, all those things? Or as I grew, as I got older and I started coaching, it was, yeah, the tactics and the technical side is really important. But for me, it was always just, are you, how are you guys loving each other? How are you guys encouraging each other? How are you guys building each other up? And even before kind of the organizational health was embedded in my head, I was really helping with that organizational health. And the one team that I coached when I was in law school ended up winning the state title. And I tell people all the time, they had no business. It was the first title of this, this small Christian school in the middle of Nashville. And they had never won a state title in their school history. And we took them to the state title. And, and people ask, how in the world did they win? Because they weren't ranked. The, the top three teams in their, in their uh, division made it to the state championship uh, final four. We were this fourth ragtag bunch of kids. And I said, you know what? They loved each other. They cared about each other. And so that idea of teamwork, that idea of collaboration, that, I, that idea has always been part of who I am. And so then, I, and I was an attorney for eight years, went to law school, became an attorney, was an attorney for eight years, about halfway into that time. Um, I really just got captured by uh, just this love for the, the care of orphan and vulnerable children. Long, much longer story than we have time for. But I ended up leaving the law firm in 2008, went full-time with Providence World, uh, became the president of that. And then, yeah, I, as you said, I was able to write this amazing book with 15 co-authors. The one theme you'll see with me is it's all teamwork. It's all working with others. That's just who I am. It's how I'm wired. And so that book, I started writing by myself and I realized not only do I not, not know enough to write a book that would be worth people reading, you know, worth their time, but it wouldn't be nearly as much fun and interesting if, if, we didn't, if we didn't get all these people's perspectives from all over the world. So that book was just an amazing opportunity to, to work with people much smarter than I am who are doing amazing work uh, in these different areas. And uh, when I say much smarter than I am, I'm like, I know certain things, but they knew a lot of things in these areas that I knew nothing about or very little about. I knew enough to know what I didn't know, right? And that's, uh, that's something I learned as an attorney too. If you don't know something, you don't try to figure it out, you get an expert witness, right? And, and so often though in our world, we, especially with the internet, we just try to Google it or we try to do other things. And I'm sitting here going, why wouldn't we go find other people who know it? Because then we can ask them, not only do we learn it, but we actually get to know new people and we get to experience life with them and start doing life together. So then that book actually led to more relationships, right? More people that I could talk with and I'd start learning more. The other thing is I'm a lifelong learner. So I was continually learning things. When I got in the orphan space, orphan care space, I knew nothing about orphan care, literally. Like, I was, you know, born and raised in South Orange County, California. If you don't know where that is, it's literally like suburbia <laughs> of suburbia. And my mom and dad are still married after 50 years. It's just me and my brother, both biological children. So we really didn't have that brokenness that a lot of people, that's why they get into the orphan care space. So I had to learn everything. Then with the, the book, I had to learn all this stuff. I had to research all these things around the world. Then I start learning more and more about the the breadth of this orphan care space. And so... I then from that was going to write another book, but I realized, you know what? I love podcasting. I mean, I love podcasts. I love listening to podcasts. I, I had, you know, back then it was the Entree Leadership Podcast, Michael Hyatt. As I'm learning, I'm getting into these podcasts. And I'm like, that sounds like it'd be, a, I think I'd enjoy interviewing people. So 
why don't I just try to, rather than write this book on the breadth of, of how we can love orphan and vulnerable children, why don't I just use this global network I have and see if I can get some interviews and see if I enjoy it and see if people listen. So we started the Think Orphan podcast back in May of 2016. And man, that just totally changed a lot of my life. I mean, I absolutely loved interviewing people. And by the way, I got to help a ton of people around the world. Like all these people in different countries that can't go to conferences, they can't go out and do these different things. Well, they have access to the best and brightest in this space. And they, all they need is an internet connection. All they need to do is be able to download it. And you and I both know that with podcasting, what an amazing thing. Mm-hmm. So I ended up starting that, doing that for a few years and then realizing, you know what, I got an opportunity because of the people I know in the soccer world, the people I know in the leadership world who played soccer or no soccer or no sports, and I can connect with them. And I wanted to, again, I wanted to write another book. You're seeing this theme that I have. I have these book ideas. <laughs> Why don't I just do a podcast? It'd be a whole lot easier than getting, I wrote one book with a bunch of co-authors. It's really hard. It takes a lot of time, a lot of energy to get people to write a chapter is really hard. But if I say, hey, as you did with me, hey, can I hop on a call with you and do a podcast interview? It's a whole lot easier. It's a, mm-hmm. And it's actually more fun because it's interactive and we can ask the follow-up question and we can ask the next thing. And so all that to say, with how soccer explains leadership and coaching character. Um, it really was during COVID where I just said, you know what? I have time. I'm not traveling as much. I wonder what it would look like to just start this new podcast. And so I did. I, again, like, like with Think Orphan, I called up some friends who are in the soccer world. Um, one of them is now my co-host, Paul Jobson, uh, with, with Baylor Women's Soccer. Amazing man uh, who's doing amazing things. And, you know, he, he, he was my first interview. I've interviewed some other people, um, great head coaches, great CEOs, great other people who are coaches from leadership coaches, emotional intelligence coaches, sports psychologists, just different people on these different areas. Again, how soccer explains life and leadership, how we can use these skills from the game to help others to flourish. And again, that is really what drives me. And so during COVID, just started it, and it's been amazing to see what's already been happening. With that, I also, in the last few years, have become a a consultant for the DISC model of human behavior. Some of you may know it as the personality assessments, D-I-S-C, means different things. Um, And we might get into that a little bit later. Boy, with that, I've, I've learned over the late years as I've coached teams, and I've used it with my players and my coaches, how valuable that is for communication and conflict resolution and retention and so really started a coaching um, uh, program with that for college pro and youth clubs as well so any anybody out there if you're interested in any of that I'm sure uh, we can get all that info out to you too as far as how to get in touch with me but uh, yeah that's that's kind of the the nutshell of how I got to be where I am today of course there's a whole lot of details I skipped over a whole lot of other things but that's really uh, the story of how I got yeah uh, Definitely. And if you want to learn more about that, if that interested you, he has three podcasts that go super in depth in all of that. So I highly recommend you guys check that out. Um, I checked it out and I've just been, you know, it's like always on my Spotify. It's just like the top recommended some, you know, with the little ukulele at the beginning. So I'm from Hawaii as well. So it always kind of takes me back home. So I'm really always excited to listen to his episode. Um, so really fascinating thing. I, I remember I kind of briefly met you on Clubhouse and then you had this thing called How Soccer Explains Leadership. And I was like, oh, that's pretty interesting. Like kind of got me thinking a little as a soccer player. But I kind of want to turn this into a question, I guess. How does soccer explain leadership? 
Um, and what does leadership really mean? Cause I'm like, for me, I like, well, I've been, as I've been learning, um, leadership isn't just like the title, like it's not just being a coach or it's not just being, I'm the, I have the captain's armband. Right. So I will kind of want to know, like, maybe what does leadership really mean and how does that apply into the soccer aspect as a whole? Yeah, I guess the, you know, the, the marketer, if I, if I were a marketer, I'd say, well, you need to listen to the podcast. Right? <laughs> um, but today, I'm not much of a marketer. So, um, no, but, you know, there are so many ways that the game and the lessons we learn from the game do explain, again, the, the, the life that we live, the how we can flourish, how we can be the best we can be. And a big part of it is teamwork. Right. But leadership itself, I mean, really, I think John Maxwell said it. He stole it from Peter Drucker, who stole it from somebody else, you know, right. But it's leadership is influence. At the end of the day, it's influencing others to really do things and be people that they that they wouldn't be otherwise. That they that that maybe it's that, you know, as personal trainers now, they'll push you. If everyone knows if they have a personal trainer, you will do things in the weight room or you'll do things in the gym with a personal trainer, even if it's out there on video. I've been doing spin lately, which I hate, by the way, but (laughs) it's it kicks my butt in a good way. Um, But they'll push me more than I would do on my own. Right. So good leaders will be able to push you in a good way to help cultivate an environment for you to flourish, right? That's, I think, the best definition I've heard really about those, those leadership, whether it's me as a father, me as a husband in my home, I want to cultivate an environment where my kids and my wife can flourish, right? If I'm a coach of a team, I want to cultivate an environment where my team can flourish. Now, with that, in those different environments, whether it's, a, you, know, in the, in the, you know, in the business world, how are we as bosses as leaders as c-suite executives create an environment in our companies where our employees our team our people can flourish right what does that look like it obviously means different things in different places but as you look through this game of soccer we see teamwork right i talked about disc a few minutes ago knowing each other's personalities that's partly just studying each other studying ourselves so we are self-aware so that we can understand others and we can help understand each other we can help each other to understand each other so that we can put our work together to be the best we can be as a unit as a team right and you know i mean we've talked about ted lasso on these other shows we talked about all these different things which are fun but what these great leadership shows what these great leadership teams any coach that talks about great leadership what they're going to talk about is how do we get each other on the same page for our mission what is our vision? What are our values? How are we putting everything through the values, right? When you look at a team, if you don't, as a soccer, I'm just going to give you a couple of examples of how soccer does explain leadership. And really, if you have a team that has different values, let's just take, you know, you're playing on a team and you've played on a lot of soccer teams, as have I. I've coached a lot of soccer teams as well. Well, if you have, a, you know, half your players or even a quarter, let's say a quarter of your players, really their, their goal is and their mission and their vision for soccer is I just want to get out and kick the ball around and have fun and just I don't care if I win or lose I don't care at the end of the day if our you know if we get beat 12-0 I just want to get some exercise I'm literally worried about my steps I'm, I'm going to wear my watch during practice so I can see my steps and get the exercise right okay. and then another quarter of the team no they 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 want to they want to win a little bit but it's not the end of the world whatever not a big deal they're not going to play in college. They're not going to do whatever. Um, but, uh, but 
they're a little bit more serious than the other guys. And then another quarter has, you know, they're wanting to go to college. They're wanting to play in, in college, but it's really just to get a scholarship or get into a college. And then that's their goal. Then the next is world cup, right? Like they want to go world cup. Well, if you have that on your team, how are you going to coach that? How are you going to get everyone on the same? Now, what you can do, so how as a coach are you going to be able to do that? You need to know all that with your players. And so either you say, okay, we're only going to have the people who want to go to World Cup or we're only going to have the second half of those people who are serious enough to want to go to college. Or you say, you know what, guys? We're going to have to have you know, different parts of practice doing different things. And we're going to have to get everyone on the same page in this. And that's really a lot of times what happens in high school teams. You know, I coach a high school team. You have these players with all these different things. But at the beginning of the year, you need to say, okay, you know what? Let's come up to the highest common denominator, the highest denominator on this team. Or let's meet in the middle. And you got to get everyone on the same page for that particular purpose. So that is a great leadership lesson too, because in any company and anything, you're going to have different people you're going to have different people that are there for different reasons. Some are just getting a paycheck and some it's on their way to another job. And some it's literally their life dream to be in whatever position this is. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's a way as a, as a coach, as a player to be, to be able to do that. Um, one of the other things that we talked about, even just with the, the other, a few episodes ago, I'm like having these episodes ring through my head. That last point, actually the one episode we just released, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know when this is going to release for, for you, but Max Rook, if you go back and listen to that, he's the Pepperdine women's soccer coach. Yeah, just listen to that like yeah. maybe yesterday. <laughs> Talk about that power of teamwork and collaboration and, and, and coming and, and doing things you wouldn't normally do and doing things that are bigger and better than yourself. But that's where you put your own agenda aside and are able to focus on this team vision. But if you don't have a mission, vision, values, you're not going to be able to focus on that. Same way in a business, if you don't have mission, vision, values, there's nothing grounding you. There's, nothing, there's no vision that you're seeing ahead. You know, and another one I was just thinking about, it was like the referee, right? We just had Del Jones. He's mm-hmm. a, a Pulitzer Prize nominee, a, a amazing guy, but he's a referee. He wasn't even a soccer referee, but same principles <laughs> apply. But the idea of perspective, right? If you think about it from uh, the, anything in life, the where you're coming and viewing the world, your worldview, your angle on things, your perspective on things, where you grew up. You grew up in Hawaii. I grew up in Southern California different. There's some similarities. There's some differences. I lived in Hawaii for a year. Love it over there. Very different. When I lived in Atlanta, it was very different. And the people in these different places, as you're, as you're uh, learning about people, you see they come in from different perspectives and backgrounds. If we just assume that you coming from Hawaii thinks the same as me coming from uh, South Orange County, as the same as somebody coming from Africa, from, from you know, Asia, from wherever, even within these different places, right? That's, that's a huge error. And in the same way in soccer, if we think, you know, that our angle, like the referee's angle is different from ours, they're going to see things differently. So how often do we get mad at refs because they missed the call or whatever? Well, I referee and it's tough. It's hard because you can't possibly see everything, you know? And so that's a good life lesson. That's a good leadership lesson as well. But what does a great referee do they use their ARs well, right? And what does a great leader do? A great leader gets people with different perspectives to help them make the right decisions. As a, as a father, I go and talk to my wife regularly to say, hey, what did I miss here? 
how did I, how did I cut, not just from my perspective of how I saw something, whether I was home or not, but with my personality and how I'm wired, she's wired very differently from me. What am I missing here? Right. If I'm doing a post on social media, I'll often how I'll often have her look at it and say, what am I actually communicating here? Because I'm reading it this way. And she's like, mm, I can see how they'd read it this way. You know, so those are just a couple. I mean, obviously I do a whole podcast on it and it, and they're, they're all different episodes. We've had like 26. And mm -hmm. so there's a whole lot more to it, but that just gives you, that just gives you a little taste of, yeah, of why I started it, why I'm excited about it. And, you know, just, I mean, why I love just talking with these amazing people who do have different perspectives and who have, do have different, you know, takes on these different things. And mm -hmm. I'm learning right alongside you, which is, which is what I love. Definitely. That's why I also, I do this podcast as well, definitely to learn and grow. I kind of want to, within this um, topic of leadership, um, a lot of my audience are just particular in me in general. Um, I know you coach, um, interview a lot of coaches or like more of those like higher level, um, I guess, um, leadership positions. But I guess, you know, like you said, um, I've been also like, since we're in this topic of leadership, kind of got me thinking. I've been listening and learning a lot from John Maxwell as well. And he says this point where the lowest level of leadership is having a title. Mm -hmm. Right. So I want to know maybe as a, like, let's say you're not in those leadership positions. Maybe you're not the coach. Maybe you're even not even like maybe the captain, or maybe you are the captain, but maybe so, like just for me, I'm a player. How can I still be an influence? How can I be in a leadership role? Right. And then maybe kind of switching, like cultivating a, right. Uh, a, a culture or a good environment. How can I, someone that's not in a leadership position still continue to, to push those like, you know, like mission, visions, values, pushing through uh, someone of that caliber or level. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite things to talk about is leading from the middle. Um, actually one of my, one of the podcast episodes, Glenn Crooks, who's the, the voice of NYFC, NYCFC talked mm -hmm. about that. The title of that episode is leading from the middle. But one of my, this is one of my favorite things because I talk to my teams all the time about this. I talk to anyone I'm coaching all the time about this. You're leading people. I talk to my kids about this all the time. You're leading people, whether you know it or not, whether you intend to or not, um, you are leading someone. People are watching you, whether it's your work ethic, whether it's the words you use, whether it's the exhortations you have, whether it's the criticism or the negativity, and that leadership could be positive or it could be negative, right? And, and you're what you do is contagious at some level. It may be one person, it may be millions of people, depending on your platform, depending on what you're doing, right? So with that, how you act, how you lead. One of my players on um, a high school team a few years ago, never forget her. She wasn't a captain. She was a senior on the team and she was our leader. And I told her that numerous times. I said, you are leading this team better than these captains are because we named the captains at the beginning of the year and we didn't change captains mid-year. But I said, with your encouragement, with your, um, you know, challenging the team to be better, with your play on the field, with your practice work ethic, you are, and with your grades in the classroom, you are leading. Okay, so absolutely agree with that, the five levels of leadership that, that John Maxwell has. We teach on that too. Positional leadership is not really leadership at all unless you're doing the other things, right? It's simply title. And cat, like I said, just because you're a captain doesn't mean you're a leader. 
It's just gives you the opportunity to almost have an easier time being a leader. I look at people that aren't having the title. They actually have an opportunity to lead. And it, it's, it's easier on one hand because the expectation isn't as high, but it's, it's, uh, you know, it's harder in that you have, to, you have to actually work for it. But then when you do have the title, you realize what leadership truly is. You read the book Legacy by uh, James Kerr. Um, and you heard that the most recommended book on how soccer explains leadership. And the funny thing about it is a book about rugby, but <laughs> the, it talks about sweep the sheds, right? The, the leaders are doing that servant leadership. So you can always be serving. You hear often the best leaders were followers. You need to learn how to follow before you can learn how to lead. And so, and because you need to understand what people need who people are. So whether you're preparing to be a leader or you're leading with your work ethic and your words and your exhortation, um, and you're learning from the people ahead of you, but you can also be speaking truth into the captains, into the coaches, and to be able to say, Hey, just so you understand, or, or I got a question about this. I got a question about that. Um, asking for advice will often, I mean, I'm speaking as a coach, but I'm also speaking as an assistant coach. I'm speaking as a leader of an organization. I'm speaking as someone who works, uh, consults with different, uh, you know, whether churches or teams, a lot of different hats I wear. But I can tell you any question someone's asking me, it's making me think. It's making me learn. It's making me consider things different ways. Again, coming from that perspective, you bring a different perspective and every perspective has tremendous value. But if, again, if you're seeing leadership as influence, Everyone is influencing somebody. You are influencing somebody through this podcast. You're also influencing somebody as you're going out and doing personal trainings with people. As you're going and just going to the store, you're influencing the cashier. If you say, you know, if you're rude to the cashier, that will influence them in their day. If you're, if you're asking them how they're doing and you give them a word of encouragement, that influences their day. You could make their day, you could ruin their day, right? Or you could have a neutral, uh, you know, encounter, which which is what it is, what no big deal. But wouldn't you rather have that positive impact on everyone you come in contact with to be able to build them up, to be able to lead them in that? And I, I, as I study personality, some people say, well, I'm just not a born leader. That's, you know, that's just such a fa fallacy that just because you're reserved doesn't mean you're leader. My son is extremely reserved and he's a leader on the field. Why? Because he works his tail off he is excited when the, when the proper time comes, he's doing his job. He is, he's always going to give 150% out there. And that's just who he is. And he leaves, but he doesn't, he's the opposite of me personality wise. Mm -hmm. so he doesn't talk a whole lot. He chooses his words, but he is leading because people want to follow him. That's influence, right? And that's, mm -hmm. that's just the way it is. And some people lead more, a lot more vocally. That's, that's me. That's how I'm leading. I'm going to be lead a lot more vocally. Um, so anyway, that, that's, that's really, I, I mean, I could talk for so much longer on that, but I'm, I'm going to stop there and let you follow up if you have anything you want to follow up. No, definitely. Um, I was that actually, you know, I just took a lot of notes on that. Definitely. You know, I've been in different positions. I've been in positions where now I'm actually coaching a little bit of a youth club. So I have that leadership. Now I've been a captain. I've been a bench player. I've been uh, just a regular, maybe co-captain or just a player. So, so many ways, but it's not just having that title, right? It's like going back to the leadership and influence. 
definitely, you know, you're influencing some, something somewhere or another. Um, great stuff about that. I kind of want to talk into, cause I want to start, try to stay in this topic of soccer. Um, we're a lot of times we're in right. A teamwork environment. We're in a team environment and communication plays a big role. Um, let's say, you know, we're trying to win or we're trying to do something. There's always going to be times where there's conflict or there's going to be some kind of butting heads or disagreement of some sort that could come. How does communication play a role in all that? And what, what are some like tips and tricks, I guess, of, you know, being able to navigate that and just keep pushing forward? Right. Again, and, and this is where, as I talked about DISC and understanding personalities, mm-hmm. well, hear me co- continually coming back to that because I, I truly do believe the more we understand that, mm-hmm. the more we can communicate well to prevent conflict, but also to build trust by understanding, again, understanding ourselves, being self-aware. When people know that you're, you actually understand yourself and understand the flaws you have and understand the weaknesses has, I, I, I love what I heard. I forget who said it. it. I probably heard it from a few different people, but they said, look, your people know what flaws you have. Your people know that you're messed up. Your people know that you have issues, right? When they understand that you know that too, they actually gain respect for you. They actually, mm-hmm. you gain more respect and you gain ability to lead them better. Um, which is funny because it's almost backwards for a lot of people. Like I just got to show my strengths. I got to be this person who's going to be on top and you know i know everything and right and i say no like look i don't know is a great answer if you don't know and help people understand that you aren't perfect because they know that right and so all that to say what that has to do with conflict again it starts with that self-awareness so that you can take a step back and go okay i understand myself what is the issue here right so you kind of take that there is it me if it's me how can i first of all take that posture of humility and say okay i probably did something wrong i probably had something to do with this issue. If it's two other people, then that's where understanding each of their personalities, sometimes they might have the same personality. So they're just button heads because they have the same personality and they don't, they're not on the same page with their mission, vision, values, or they're not on the same page with that particular issue. It could be they have opposite personalities. And so a super driven person is, is coming up against someone who's more just like laid back and peace and harmony is their issue. And, and so they're withdrawing. And so the person here is yelling at him and screaming at him, which is causing them to withdraw more and more. And then further and further apart. So to understand each of those things is really important to know what is causing this conflict rather than just coming to every conflict and going, well, you just need to talk to each other. Well, it may be that talking to each other, if they are two very driven people, they're just going to keep yelling at each other. I can just look at my house and look no further. My <laughs> wife drives her nuts when me and my daughter or me and my son, who are very wired, very similar to me, when we come at it and there's conflict, it's just like, we go at it and then we're done and we just go on and we move on. And she's like, stop yelling, stop it. But that's, that's how we're going to deal with it. If we don't have someone there to mediate it with us. Whereas with my son, if I yell at him, he'll just withdraw because that's what he does in the context of that. Cause he wants peace and harmony like my wife does. So I know to just scream and yell at, you know, not that I did, I don't do that very often, but to just scream and yell at, at these folks, and so it's, it's totally changed how I've dealt with conflict in the context of teams, in the context of my organization, in the context of these other, other areas, and, and in coaching people on the conflict. It's to say, okay, what are the issues and who is involved and how can we bring, again, truth into that situation? Again, I, and I've said this, you probably heard it on the podcast. I've said it a few times. Patrick Lindsay has a quote. It's, 
When there is trust, conflict becomes the search for truth. When there is no trust, conflict is politics where there has to be a winner and a loser. There has to be a right and a wrong. And so when we look at that and you go, okay, and I, and I skipped that step earlier. So let me go back and say, before you can even have those conversations, you have had to have the, the base of trust. It goes to the five dysfunctions of a team, which is another book by Patrick Lencioni. But if you don't have that base of trust, you're, you're gonna, it's going to be a struggle to, go, to work through conflict right? Let's think of social media. You got to go no further, (laughs) right? People just throw bombs, lay into each other. There's no trust built. It's just yelling at each other, right? That's not, no, no resolution is going to come to that because you don't know each other. You don't trust each other. You don't, you don't have any vested interest in relationship with each other. But when you have a team and you've built trust, then you can actually, and you understand personalities, then you can come into that conflict and go, okay, guys, what's the truth here? What's, what's really going on here? You can have that search for truth together. If, again, if you have trust, if you have that, those values, and if they've bought into it and they actually agree to it beforehand, then you can come into that situation. And, and if it's in the middle of a game, you know, I don't know if there's a whole lot you can do about it in the middle of the game except unless you have beforehand encourage them, hey, guys, like we're a team. And then that means something to them, right? But if you say that to a team that doesn't have trust, that doesn't care about each other, that doesn't love each other, it doesn't mean anything. So then maybe you have to pull them out. But if they're your two best players and your center mids, you don't want to do that in the middle of a game, right? Maybe you have to if that's what it's going to take. So hope that, you know, again, these are, these are all massive issues that we're not going to solve in, a, in an hour interview. But I think that those principles, I think, again, if you want to go read one book uh, that's going to, it's going to help you through the conflict conversation, um, at least building that trust, vulnerability, accountability, results, all that. It's Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni. Um, and then, again, with the DISC stuff, you can contact me on that if that's something that intrigues you. If it's something you, you don't know a lot about, I'd love to talk with you more about how that could help you and your team and your leadership uh, at any level. Awesome. Definitely. You know, I mean, I've had issues where like we would argue because like, you know, you, this, you didn't do your job. So then we got scored on, but then I've been on other teams where we got scored on and it was literally the goalkeeper said it was my fault because of this. And then it was like the center back said it was my fault because like, and it was like, it wasn't pointing fingers towards each other, it was pointing fingers at each other. And I feel like that's where like cultures, you know, cultivating culture of a team where everybody's trusting each other. Everybody's wanting to grow and get better. Um, and I definitely agree on that. Um, and within, I just kind of also want to switch yeah, it now. Something on, that, yeah. something on that before we move on, the, mm-hmm. the idea of the truth may be it was the keeper's fault. Mm-hmm. So the defender actually saying it's my fault isn't very helpful, mm-hmm. right? Because there then potentially that self-deprecation isn't necessarily the truth. Mm-hmm. So if they're taking that, that could actually, again, depending on the personality, if they really thought it was their fault. Now, I'm not saying you have a blame game. That I, that's not the idea. Right. But it's it's how can we have a culture again for everyone's flourishing knowing that that truth and understanding what the real the reality is is a big part of that so i just want to encourage that i love that you know everyone's saying what i what i actually prefer is just hey you know what it's done let's move on mm-hmm. and then we'll talk about that later if if we need to right. if we don't need to we don't need to if every, you know but if someone shanks a shot you don't need to tell them they shanked the shot they know right. they shanked the shot <laughs> Right. So, so we don't need to 
rehash it in the middle of a game. That doesn't help anybody. Hmm. I remember Amanda Cromwell, who is a UCLA women's head coach, when they won the national championship game, the semifinals, I actually talked about this in, in my interview with her. Mm-hmm. They got scored on on a total, everyone knows whose fault it was. It was the center back, soft pass, back to the keeper. The, you know, we've all heard the story before. The winger comes in, tucks it away in the corner. Mm-hmm. They went down 1-0. They ended up mm-hmm. going tying and winning in a shootout. But the reason I bring that up is the keeper grabbed the ball, kicked it back to midfield, and they moved on. It wasn't – I can't believe – it was Abby Dahlkemper, by the way, who's a the senior – was a center back. And the keeper was Caitlin Rowland, who plays for the Australian World Cup team. So you have two World Cup players mm-hmm. that it obviously wasn't something that happened all the time. So she said, you know what? She shanked the shot, so to speak, right? She shanked the pass. It was, it was a bad pass. Mm-hmm. We all know. She knows. I don't need a reminder. Let's move on. Here it go, right? Mm-hmm. So that's from that standpoint, that's really what I would encourage um, us to be able to create that culture on our teams is to say, you know, we just did a podcast on Ted Lasso where he says, be a goldfish, right? The shortest memory. Mm-hmm. Right? There are times to dwell on things, but in the midst of a game when there's a mistake made is not that time. Awesome, definitely. So within, I know we've been talking a lot about soccer, and one one thing that I've always heard that you say is basically being able to learn from different disciplines. I know you come from different backgrounds. I know you're an author, you're a podcaster, you come from the nonprofit world, and you also have a law background. How does all that and being able to, you know, I guess put your ego aside, being able to learn from others, learn, go to different, um, you know, uh, disciplines and try to be able to bring that to soccer. How has that like shaped your overall thinking of leadership and just in general within, you know, trying to become a better soccer coach, just within soccer? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that's something that you're speaking my love language with that question. (laughs) I mean, it's the posture of learning really. I mean, if you look at strength finders, learning is number four for me, but if we don't as leaders have a posture of learning, you always hear leaders are learners, right? It used to be leaders are readers, but now we learn in so many different ways that and leaders are readers rhymes. So I actually like that better, but <laughs> um, leaders are learners. Absolutely. And we do need to learn from all these different disciplines because it's actually why when I, when I go to India, I'm going to learn cricket because that's their, that's what they speak. Mm. I, I wanted I learned rugby because I knew that a lot of other people, the rugby is their sport. Again, I, I use sport a lot of the times because that seems to be a language that a lot of people speak, right? So how can I learn what will help me better connect with you? So when it comes to the different disciplines, and I, part of that may be coming from the fact that I was a clerk for a, for a judge and I got to learn all these different things about all these different cases. It was amazing. And then I was an attorney for eight years learning about all these different cases that people were dealing with and the disputes and so on. So I got to learn all these different things and learn from really, really smart people who came and were able to help me understand better. But what I also learned from that because of the way I think and because the way my mind works is that most things are interconnected. Most things, if you go to root causes, you need to understand a lot of things about a lot of things to get it back and deconstruct these uh, issues that we're facing because if we just deal with symptoms all the time it's like putting a band-aid on a gaping head wound you know you're not going to really dig into that and find out what's really causing the problem mm-hmm. and so I think we do that too often in society but to be able to dig in there you need to know some things you need to know what you can't hit you need to know what you can hit you need to know what you're digging out is something you can dig out and some things you don't want to dig out right so those are all things that we need to know 
So if we're not learning cross-discipline, first of all, we're not, we, might, we might make mistakes that we could have avoided otherwise. But beyond that, we are not learning as, as broad as we could learn. So if you, let's take sports, just, just playing soccer, right? If you just play soccer and you focus, and this is going to get into playing multiple sports, which I am a huge advocate for. Mm-hmm. If you just play soccer, you're going to learn soccer, okay, which is fine. Nothing wrong with that necessarily, mm-hmm. but you'll learn how to think in the game. You'll learn whatever your muscles will also learn that by the way. So you won't get strong in some of the other muscles that you might need to use at some point. Mm-hmm. But then if you, let's just say you played just basketball. Well, what does basketball do for you? Basketball helps you to get, make decisions quicker because you don't have as much time on the ball. You have people on you immediately. It helps you to understand how to be smarter in your physicality sometimes mm-hmm. that that helps you under because you can't go in and bump like you can in soccer otherwise it's a foul mm-hmm. uh, so your brain is working quicker your, your body you're using your body in different ways and you're using different muscles so you're building those other areas of your of your of your body then let's say you went and played baseball well baseball will definitely work on your patience one because it's really slow right um and so that's one area but it's also going to cause you to think ahead more right mm-hmm. because what do they teach you in baseball? If you ever played baseball, every time before the, before the bat, if you're in practice, they're like, all right, we got two men on right now, two outs. What are we doing? Right? We got one out, one man on third. What are we doing? And you're thinking, right? So how does that help you? Well, if it helps you in soccer to be thinking ahead to the next play more. Now you can learn all these things from soccer, mm-hmm. but if you learn through these different games, then you're going to be able to bring it all to the sport that you end up playing. And that's why if we, I remember when I was a kid, I don't know if it was the same now. I, I doubt it because of the specialization. But almost every elite athlete that went and played D1 whatever was a three-sport athlete. Mm-hmm. Almost every time. And because I think it was, one, the physicality and the, their bodies were built better, but also just their thinking. They were quicker thinkers in every sport because they played multiple sports. I think the same goes for whether you're a lawyer, whether you're an accountant, whether you're a whatever it is to know multidiscipline is going to help, which you see a lot of law schools, business schools, med schools. They are giving, you know, very, a lot of incentives to learn cross-discipline. Mm. We had a class in my law school where business school was also learning with the law school and the med school and mm. the divinity school. And we had classes together so we can learn from different perspectives. It goes back to the perspective idea, right? To understand the more perspectives we can understand, the better it's going to be for us to be able to interact with others. Yes. But also when people come to our team to be able to understand them better again, so we can cult an environment for them to flourish. If we really see that as our role as a leader, mm-hmm. That is something. And to see how we can get the best out of them is to understand that if we don't understand them, you know, seek to understand before you seek to be understood. All those ideas, how are we seeking to understand? If we don't really know that perspective, then we're not going to be able to see that. So learning, continually learning, it's one of the reasons why I love what I, what I do and get to do is I get to continually learn, not just, hey, I'm going to ask you questions that I care about. No, I'm going to try to learn my audience so that I can then learn as I'm researching and learning about you as a guest or other people as a guest, I can then learn what will you be able to share with my audience that will help them the most, but also what do I want to learn is probably what a lot of these guys want to learn, but how do I even know what I want to learn if I don't know a lot of things that I don't know? Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I, um, as I've been thinking about that, um, I've always been just a lifelong learner. But I think that might have also came from just like you said, like I, 
I've always come from like different backgrounds. I did a lot of like in uh, in high school, I did a little bit of football. They needed a kicker. But then a lot of the times, like you're only kicking like maybe like, I don't know, one percent of the game. So the time you're just chatting and you're learning from players. And as for me, soccer, I was playing a lot of winger positions and I learned from corners and wide receivers how to run and make those really good runs. So that that was I guess that's more physical. But I guess in a way it's you can see how crazy like your mind can take you to right? how it can take you to a whole nother level kicking for you know for a football I learned like how to properly kick I mean I guess the football is a little bit different but just the thought process of knowing how to kick my shooting got a lot more better um cross country when I went into conditioning like learning the training aspect so then like for me when I played in college I, I never lost a condition uh, like a conditioning or fitness test and I could you know 100% agree that my cross country training and work that came from that um, so I've always been a lifelong learner and within, I guess, like the subject of learning out of, you know, you've had a great career so far within different disciplines what was one of like the biggest life lesson that you learned throughout your career. Yeah. Before I get to that, I do want to say one thing mm-hmm. uh, about within the game of soccer to uh-huh. learn the other positions as you were talking about all that. It reminded me as you were talking about being a kicker and learning and just talking with the other positions, but as a goalkeeper, I, I played striker before I played goalkeeper and almost every goalkeeper plays striker at some point in their life. It's just mm-hmm. kind of a goalkeeper's dream. Right? <laughs> but to learn how a striker thinks is critical for a goalkeeper to mm-hmm. be the best they can be. For a striker to also know how a midfielder thinks, that helps them understand where they need to be and how to move in the way they play. Same thing for defenders. So for us to know each other and know how each position plays. So that's why I think it is important for young, young players and for coaches to put young players into all the different positions so they can learn the different positions, even if it means you lose some games as young kids, right? To be able to put them in those different positions to learn from those different positions. Because again, if a keeper doesn't know how a striker thinks, they're not going to be able to anticipate a lot of things they need to anticipate. Mm-hmm. And vice versa, for a striker to understand how a keeper thinks to help them understand if I do this, right. then they'll do this, most likely, if not. So that that's something there. So going back to, so you said the, one of the life lessons that I have learned from all that I have uh, Yeah, done. I guess, yeah. As a, as a life learner, learning a lot of disciplines and just throughout your career, what's like the biggest takeaway or lesson that you've learned so far that I guess is true or that, you know, that, <laughs> that has helped you out? Yeah. And I, I've said a couple of them. I mean, I think be a lifelong learner, have a, have a, a humble learning posture is, is probably the biggest thing because if once I think John Wooden said, um, it may have been him or somebody else, um, but again, there's nothing new under the sun. So he probably <laughs> looked at somebody else, but it's, you know, that's the things you learn when you think, you know, everything that are, what are the, some of the best things in life? Right. So it's that idea. Um, you know, the, the other ideas, some of the best things that we know are just on the other or do and experience are just on the other side of comfortable. Mm-hmm. So, um, to, to know that you're going to have to take risks, to know that you're going to have to go where you've never been before, to know that you're going to have to take some of these steps that are, that are uncomfortable and unknown. And, and that's where that humble learning posture comes in because then you're not afraid to ask the next question. You're not afraid to ask for help. You're not afraid to get mentors. In fact, you know and understand I need mentors. I need people to be able to help me to that next, that next step and to find those people who are the people that we respect in those areas as you talked about like i found people i have five kids i have a beautiful wife that i want to keep i love them very very much so i found men who i respected who have big families 
who have a wife that they love, who loves them. And to be able to say, how'd you do it? How are you, what can I learn from you, right? And again, and that goes to what I said earlier too, is I don't know is a great answer to somebody. Because if my mentors ask me a question, I'm like, oh, well, I got all the answers. I'm never going to learn from them. So it's that posture of humility, that learning posture, combined with not being afraid to say, I don't know, and understanding, you know, it comes with a learning humble posture to say, I don't know. It and it also comes with those postures to go out and seek people who do know. One of my good friends, and he runs a nonprofit as well, Peter Greer, he runs Hope International, amazing, amazing man. He played at Messiah College, one of the most incredible D3 soccer programs in the, in the country. But Peter, when I interviewed him, he talked about the fact that he got a mentor for every area of his life that he needed help. And he found a different one for those different areas. So financial and, you know, for the microfinance stuff that he does for the, the marriage, for the business, for the, the, you know, and every level, nonprofit, whatnot. And now he gets to, to return the favor to a lot of other people. And that's how I feel right now is I'm kind of in that middle section where I'm still have amazing mentors. And I hope to always have amazing mentors in some way. And sometimes mentors are younger than you. Mm -hmm. Sometimes mentors are, I have mentors now who are younger than me, mentors on podcasting, mentors on, on some of these, you know, click funnels and <laughs> other things like that, right. That I know nothing about. Mm -hmm. So I can learn them. I can learn from them. But again, if I don't have that posture of humility, that, that humble posture of, Hey, I got so much to learn. And Hey, you know, when you ask me, I don't know, I don't know the answer. Can you help me with that answer? Or can we go figure it out together? Right. Or if someone asks me a question and I'm their mentor and I don't know, I'm like, hey, you know, I don't know. <laughs> My kid asked me a question. I don't know, but you know what? Let's find out together. Mm. Let's go figure it out together. And it may be an internet search. It may be going and finding another person who knows that. It may be, you know, going into the Bible and finding out the answer there. It may be going in, into some other books or other, you know, show or whatever. I mean, and my son's doing a report right now on San Diego Zoo, right? And he asked, well, what's this, dad? I go, I don't know. Let's go find out. And we go, and there's a lot of different resources there, but, and how do we make it exciting for them and how all that, right? So that's a whole different conversation, but those, that's probably the biggest lesson because the cool thing about that is we're continually learning. And it's like, I can tell you that and whatever journey you're on that applies to you, mm -hmm. right? It's not like, oh, you'd be a great podcaster by saying, well, that doesn't apply to people who don't podcast. It doesn't apply to people who aren't communicators. But this really does, and it's something that we can understand how we can best help that next person by ourselves understanding how we can grow and how we can learn and how we can do these things better. Mm -hmm. Man, I think it's, yeah, I, I really love the answer of I don't know because it just humbles you to a point of wanting to learn. It comes back, you know, being a lifelong learner because, um, you, you know, like if I also know, like if you, the people that actually don't know are the people that say they know everything and the people that actually do know are actually the ones that keep on seeking that's the reason why they know right definitely so Absolutely. um i had one uh one guy that was was under under me at a at an organization and um he really struggled saying i don't know and certain personalities struggle saying i don't know more than others mm -hmm. um, absolutely um but also certain cultures i don't know is is not uh is not Mm. acceptable for mm. some cultures right. so you know he really struggled with i don't know and i and i just kept having to tell him like look i know you don't know mm. so it actually is much better for you to tell me i don't know so we don't have to go through the process right. of me 
getting it out of you that you don't, or for you to say, I don't, I know I got it. And then, um, and then have you screw up because you didn't get it. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone who's worked with kids knows that the kids, the, and I'm thinking of a couple of my kids where I'm, I'm talking to them. I'm instructing them. I know I got it. I know, I know dad, I know, or a kid they're coaching. I know, I know. And then they go on and do it. And then they can make the same mistake over and over again. Right. The track is crazy as it should. Yeah. And I was like that as a kid. Mm-hmm. This whole idea of a humble learning posture did not come naturally to me. I had to learn it. Mm-hmm. I had to really accept, like, I don't get it. I don't understand. One of actually the judge I mentioned who my time in Hawaii was working for a judge. And he said to me at one point, it was one of the most poignant and one of the most life transforming moments of my life. When I thought I had this, this answer for this case, I thought it was this case. I wrote an opinion and it was going to go to the Supreme court and it was going to change everything the way laws done forever. Right. And, and I was, you know, 25 years old out of, out of, out of law school, fresh, fresh off the boat, whatever. And, <laughs> and he says, and he goes, and I was, I was literally arguing with the judge, right? Like, my, my boss, who is a federal judge in Hawaii, a brilliant man appointed by the president. And I'm sitting there, 25 year old kid going, no, 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 no. What about this? What about this? What about this? And he's like, Phil, first of all, sit back in your chair. Cause I was of course leaning against the chair, like <laughs> telling him why I was right. And he, and he goes, he goes, Phil, you need to understand that you've always been you know, top of your class at some level. You've always been the smart guy. You've always been the one who knew the answer. He says, you got to realize that you have a lot to learn. And a big part of my job is to teach you how to be a better person, how to be a better lawyer, how to be someone who can help others. But you can't do that if you think you have all the answers. Mm. And it just floored me, you know? And he says, oh, by the way, did you see this case or that case? And I'm like, no, no, I didn't catch those. He goes, yeah, they came out yesterday. Mm. And he knew it already, right? And I missed him, right? So again, it was just this, like, just talk about crashing down. <laughs> but one of my law school professors once said, he said, my job is not to teach you the law, it's to teach you how to learn the law. Mm. We see that as our role as coaches, our role as leaders. It's not to teach you soccer, it's to teach you how to learn soccer, continually learn this game and love this game. That's my job for you. And I can teach you parts of it. I can teach you. But if I can teach you how to take what you're learning from this and even go further, that's true leadership. Definitely. Well, I do know, you know, we could go on forever and talk about this. So we have to come to a wrap soon. But I have a couple of questions before we wrap it up. Um, Out of your whole career and everything that you've done, what's the most favorite memory that you've had thus far um, and lesson that you took out of it? From the leadership standpoint? Um, it could be anything. Yeah, I guess more on the leadership because we are talking about that aspect. Yeah, as a whole. You know, that's a, that's a really hard question. Uh, <laughs> that uh, favorite memory from, you know, I don't know if it's any, any one memory, but it, I think it's when, and any leader understands this, is when you're leading someone who's either stubborn or, and I've seen this with my kids over and over. I've seen it with different people in different organizations I've led and different teams I've been a part of, but it's really the, when they get it, when it clicks, when they, when they realize either I'm being stubborn or I I've been saying, I get it all the time. And they're saying, I know, I know, I know, or whatever. But when you see that light go on 
and you realize that you've actually made an impact in their life, mm. right? Um, from the standpoint of writing a book, right? Like the book, writing a book and putting it out. Some people say, oh, seeing that book come in the box, that was my biggest thing. For me, it was getting an email from a kid who's a 10-year-old saying, Mr. Dark, um, I, I saw your book on my dad's coffee table and I, asked, and I asked him if he was reading it. He said he wasn't reading it and I asked him if I could and I read it and when I read page 35, uh, it was, I was reading about me. I was reading it because it was about the orphan heart and it was about how, you know, he, and he was, he goes, I was an orphan in an orphanage in Ethiopia and my, my dad adopted me and now I'm living in the family and you were describing me. This is a 10 year old. And I was like, that's why we write. That's why we do this, right? It's, it's making that impact kid. I'll never meet in my life. Most, I can't imagine I'll ever meet him, right? Mm -hmm. To hear other stories like that, to hear different things with the podcast when you're making that impact. Um, that's, that's for me why I do it. Um, and yeah, one championships, one different things. Um, best memories in you know, life or my, my wedding and my kids being born. But outside of that, and, you know, coming to know the Lord, those are my, those are the things that will never, but as far as that leadership and leading others and creating that environment and creating that area is to see that I've had a little impact. I've just had a little influence into helping others to reach that next level, to see in themselves that they have so much more to give, to see that they are created to do amazing things that are well beyond what they can think or imagine. That is what, that's what uh, my favorite, sorry, I don't have like one specific thing. No, usually everybody's like, you know, they don't have one specific thing, but they have a common theme within those yeah. things. And I think you just hit it right on the, yeah. so I guess I'm going to switch it up. It might be a little bit hard, but what was one of your lowest points or maybe a tough part and how were you able to overcome that? And what kind of lessons have you learned from that throughout your leadership career or whatever career you've had? Yeah. And I can tell you it was, it was 2009. It was right after I took over, um, Providence leadership. This one's actually pretty easy for me cause I'll never forget it. Um, there are a few low points, but most of them, uh, this was probably, uh, the hardest point. Um, it was right after I took on the, the president role. Uh, it was, there were some issues of why, we, uh, why I became president that we don't need to go into right now, but it was tough. It was, it wasn't like, Oh, it's this easy passing of the baton. It was a tough time. And then I took over and, um, it was right in 2008 is when I left the law firm. So I, you were probably like eight years old or something at that time. Um, but, uh, now you're a little bit older than that, but still it was right when the economy started crashing in 2008 is when I left my law firm. And then June of 2009 is when I took over as president. Well, the economy was still having issues. I run a nonprofit. Um, the, so our giving was down. I had very little money. I just had my fourth kid. My, my fourth kid was, was six months old. Um, and I'm trying to figure all this out. I'd never run a nonprofit before. And then right after I took over, we had a community. We had our, the orphanage that we ran was in Honduras and or is in Honduras but the coup happened in Honduras right after I took over so I couldn't even go visit them down there I couldn't I'm overseeing it I, I couldn't even oversee anything right I was I was and they were on 
they were on lockdown, they were on curfews, there was all these other issues. So all the summer teams that brought in some of the funding for the, for the ministry were shut down. So we had none of that coming in in addition to the economy. And I'm, again, just learning this whole thing of leading a nonprofit. I didn't know all of our donors. I didn't know all this. So I'm seriously at this point going, I have no idea what I'm doing. Mm. Absolutely no idea what I'm doing. So um, again, going back to that posture of learning, that's where a lot of it came from. But I'll never forget it. I I went down to the river by by my house and I happened to be reading through Psalms uh, in the Bible, Psalm 107 through 113. And in Psalm 112.7, it says, he is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. And so I, after I read that, I went on a walk along the river. And, and I'll never forget it. It was, it was clear. It wasn't like audible. It wasn't sky riding. It wasn't anything. But I, I really just heard God saying to me, you know what? You're, you are incompetent to do all this stuff in front of you, but I'm not. And I'll give you every bit of wisdom and discernment you need to do what you need to do. So that's really what defines me is God empowering me to do these different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that moment, it was, it was so freeing to know, like, I don't need to have all the answers. I don't need to know everything today. I just need to know that I know what I know. I know what I don't know. I have other people to be a part of this. It's why collaboration and teamwork is so, the fact that I played soccer since I was little too, but it's why it's so ingrained in who I am. Mm -hmm. It's because I knew then, like there is no way I can do this on my own. Absolutely impossible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, God's going to give me this, but how's God going to do that? He's going to do it through other people. He's going to do it through learning. He's going to do it through showing me these different things and, and showing me the impossible is possible. Like we made very little money that year. But somehow my kids ate. Somehow we had a house over our head. I, I went, I had like, I think I made one fifth the salary of what I made as a lawyer that year. And I didn't make massive money as an attorney yet. So somehow provision was there, not just from a financial standpoint, but from a wisdom standpoint, from a discernment standpoint, from an information, from getting, you know, on planes and meeting people and talking to people and helping them understand, you know, this is, this isn't about us. It's about something much bigger than us. So let's go for it. And that's, I think, the, really the lesson for any leader is it's not about you. It's about something much bigger than you. Mm-hmm. And how can you be a part of that? And what does that look like? And how can you understand? How can you learn? And how can you just understand that your people have so much to teach you? Yes, you have stuff to teach them too. But if you're not continually learning, if you're not continually understanding that, man, there's, this is so much bigger than me. How can I possibly do this on my own? Some people think they can figure it all out. I can't even imagine being that person because, you know, that's, that's so discouraging all the time. Overwhelming. I, I totally overwhelming. And <laughs> I got to figure everything out all the time. No, man. Like, like we know what we know. We can do what we can do. Mm-hmm. But there are other people who want to help us. Mm-hmm. And there are other people that get joy out of helping us. Let's not only let them help us, let's help them and let's do this together. And that's something that, that's why I love doing this with you. Love encouraging you and you encouraging me. I mean, you're much younger than I am, but uh, you got tons to teach me, right? I got a lot of different things. And if I'm not seeing that, then I'm missing most of what, you know, God wants to teach me and show me. And so that's, that's really was that low point that has really been my life verse and my mantra a lot of the time is just, there's a lot of bad news that can come our way. But if that we if we let that define us, uh, we're we're missing the boat. 
Oh, definitely. Being something much bigger than that, I think is really great. And then I kind of tie it into one of our last questions. Um, this whole brand of Achieve Greatness came from Kobe Bryant himself. I was really inspired by him, how he was able to just, not only just himself, right, having a great career, being able to become the best version of himself, but because of that, he was able to innately inspire other people to do great as well, right? Just from his presence, just from like when you call his name, you know, oh, the mama mentality. Um, and he had this quote basically saying when he talks about greatness, he tells his definition of greatness was basically the most important thing is to try to inspire others so that they can do great in whatever they want to do. Not only just himself, but being able to leave that impact, right? Like you said, doing something much bigger. So turning that into our final question, what kind of, I know you had a successful career and then you're doing great stuff. Um, what kind of legacy would you like to leave behind? And then uh, who would you want to be remembered as? Yeah, I wish I, I wish I could pull out my uh, the eulogy that I wrote, uh, <laughs> which is you know, kind of morbid, but actually the same Peter Greer, who I mentioned earlier in the interview, did that. He wrote a book called 4040 Vision and talking about writing your own eulogy and just who do you remember for? And then in a life plan that I did with Michael Hyatt has a great book called Living Forward, um, where he talks about that too, um, is writing your own eulogy. And, and it's something that is really important. I mean, kind of start with the end in mind as you're talking about here. And who I, I want to be remembered for, I mean, actually, it is quite simple. I want to be remembered for someone who, who does, who serves others, someone who has a servant heart, someone who loves well, um, as someone who is seeking how I can help you to uh, flourish in all the gifts and talents that you have and that have been given to you and, and to help you to be the best version of you you can be, to be that coach, to be that dad. Um, to be a father who loves his kids well, for my kids to know that, that I love them um, with everything I have more than, you know, they can ever imagine uh, loving them, for my wife to know the same. And for everyone who comes into contact to me, with me to know that, and sometimes it, it doesn't come across that way with me because I, I love well and deeply, but I also am very intense and passionate. And so sometimes it seems like I'm mad at some, somebody or something. Um, but I, I, the more I get to know people, the more they get to know me. Um, I really hope and pray that they do understand that my, my heart is for them to be the best they can be. And sometimes I get frustrated because I see people underachieving and being okay with it. And I, and I struggle with that. I struggle with, you know, when you talk about Kobe Bryant, like there's a guy who achieved at the highest level and he also realized he could get better. Right. And he realized like, there's guys better than me. I want to go talk to Michael Jordan. I want to go talk to these people who are, who are better than me and have these legacies that are better. But for my legacy to not be in what I did, but who I am mm. right to my legacy to be, you know, not someone say, Oh, he wrote this book and he did a podcast and he had X downloads and he had this and this and then that no to be like, he was able to pour into people's lives. He was a coach who loved well. He was a, he was a leader of an organization that loved well. And there's these different, um, their legacy is in the others, right? The legacy is the people that I was able to touch and, and be able to encourage and be able to love. They're doing these amazing things. And that's something that really shifted in me a while back, probably, probably 10 years ago or so. It just became really clear that I wasn't supposed to be the guy with the, the main stage all the time. Mm -hmm. And maybe every so often get on a stage and talk or whatever. But for me to be the guy who amplifies others, the, the backstage guy who's able, which is so not how I thought it was going to be. I was like, I'm going to be that main stage speaker all the 
time. But now I, I just take such great joy in, in interviewing someone and helping to amplify their platform to be able to help them to be the best they can be. And, and that's just something that I hope I'm able, and that, that's what every great coach should be able to do. Mm-hmm. The coaches that try to make it about themselves, they usually burn out um, or they usually end up in scandal. Um, <laughs> but to make it about others, they're the ones who, and they truly make it about, look at John Wooden. I mean, right. that guy never made it about himself and the winningest, best coach, most respected coach ever. Mm-hmm. I'd say if you asked him, he probably would have said the same thing. I, I just hope that these people that I coach do amazing things and that would give, bring me the greatest joy. So that's, that's, that's what I actually I train at UCLA. Sometimes uh, I do private trainings and they have a, uh, there's a little field right next door and they have the John Wooden, I train at UCLA. They have the John Wood in uh, stadium and uh, the statue. And I always just look at it and just kind of like you know look back, um, definitely. And I think yeah. I might have also taken what you're just saying. Um, might have been on your podcast or not, but it was saying how success without fulfillment is failure. That's kind of just the one kind of key thing that I kind of took back while you were talking about your whole legacy and eulogy. But I mean, but besides the point. Um, I'm so excited. Thank you so much, very much for being on the podcast. Um, definitely learned a lot. My notebook is just full with pages. And I definitely, as I'm editing, I know, I know for sure I'm going to have a lot more. Um, but if people want to find out more about you, want to connect with you, um, get consulting from you and everything else, what's the best way they could connect with you? And how can they find out more about uh, everything? Yeah, the podcast, HowSoccerExplainsLeadership.com. If you want to reach out to me, just Phil at HowSoccerExplainsLeadership.com. You can also uh, connect with me on pretty much Phil Dark is my handle on Instagram, on uh, Twitter, uh, Facebook, uh, and I'm also on LinkedIn. So if you just go to any of those and just do Phil Dark, uh, you'll be able to find me. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can see a picture of me on on uh, how soccer explains leadership.com.com uh, about page that will pretty much be the exact same picture uh, uh, that I have on the other ones. If anyone wants to do a headshot for me and <laughs> one, uh, I'd, I'd be, I would definitely welcome that. So, but you can, it's pretty easy to find me because it's the same picture everywhere. So kind of keep it simple. And also I know you do conversations on clubhouse as well, right? So yeah. if you want to talk, so yeah, yeah that's uh, every Friday morning at 9.30 a.m. Pacific time. Mm-hmm. You can jump on the How Soccer Explains Leadership uh, room on Clubhouse, which I absolutely love. That's how we met. was not in that room, but uh, you've been in that room a couple times. But it's, it's so much fun to be able to actually have conversations with people all around the world about these topics. And if you're not on that and you have an iPhone, I strongly encourage you to get on Clubhouse and find some conversations with people that you can start great friendships like this one that, that uh, we now have. So, yeah. Definitely. Well, it was a truly a big pleasure. Um, I want to wrap this up with one final question. Might be a bomb, but we've heard from Kobe what his definition of greatness is. So with that being said, with the Chief Greatness Podcast, what is your definition of greatness? My definition of greatness um, to... Uh, wow. I think it's, it's to be able to understand that you have amazing gifts and talents that are intended for others that, and, and they're flourishing as, as well as your own. Um, but to have that humility that I talked about. So for the greatest people, you know, this isn't, you're going to have to patch this together to make it one (laughs) little sticky phrase. 
but I would say my achievement, my, my, my definition of, of greatness would be the people who understand that they do have a greatness inside them that is intended for others, but they also know that they aren't able to achieve their greatest greatness. And this, so it's, it's that understanding of your greatness, but knowing that you can't achieve the best until you realize that the true greatness is a beyond yourself and you need others to fulfill that. Mm-hmm. So I think that there is something that to always realize there's something much bigger and, and broader and better than just what we can do on our own. And that's why we need others in their teamwork. And so it's, it's both a, an understanding and a living out of what we can do and an understanding that other people will unlock that next level that we can't achieve on our own. Boom. And there you go. You know, super excited. Um, thank you so much for being on the show and everybody keep on achieving a greatness. Take care, everybody. Wow. What an amazing podcast episode we had. Hope you guys learned a lot of value. If you guys enjoy this show, please share this with your friends and families. It truly does really help grow the brand. And we do look hard to keep inspiring people to keep achieving the best version of themselves. So with that being said, if you like content just like this, feel free to join us on social media, on Instagram, at The Achieve Greatness. And we'll be looking forward to connecting with you guys there. Share, rate, and review the podcast. It really help us out. Keep continuing to grow. And with that being said, everybody... Keep on achieving greatness. Ah!